Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. Uh, If you are new here, uh, my name is Jeff Brown. They're letting the worship guy preach this weekend. So, no. Just wait till the end, see if... See if it all works out. Uh, Hey, kids, are you in the room? Yeah, Yeah, I need you up here, kids. I need you up here with me. You got fruit snacks for you. We're going to watch a short movie together. All right, and as you're up here, kids, we're going to watch a short video. And this video introduces to you our emotion for the week, all right? we're going to talk about today. All right, let's watch this together. Ever wonder why you feel the way you do? We'll get to know your emotions. When life gets you down, that's when sadness takes over. This is sadness. With a caring touch and a kind heart, sadness leaps into action to let you... I said sadness leaps into action. Sadness... Oh, sadness. I'm sadness. Oh, hello. I'm joy. So, can I just, if you could, I just want to fix that. (laughs) Thanks. I like when the rain runs down our back and makes our shoes soggy. And we get all cold, shivery, and everything just starts feeling droopy. Oh, hey, 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 easy. Why are you crying? It's it's just really the opposite of what we're going for here. Crying helps me slow down and obsess over the weight of life's problems. Or we did till I moved away. Hey, what gives? What? Hey, sadness, you touched a memory? We talked about this. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Oh, we'll never make it. No, 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 no. Don't obsess over the weight of life's problems. Remember the funny movie where the dog died? Oh, sadness, we don't have time for this. Well, we'll just have to go around. Take the scenic route. Wait, Joy, you could get lost in there. Think positive. Okay. I'm positive you will get lost in there. You are my map. Let's go. Lead on, mind map. Show me where we're going. Okay. Only, uh, I'm too sad to walk. Just give me a few hours. Oh! Which way? Left? Right. No, I mean, go left. I said left was right, like, correct. Okay. This actually feels kind of nice. Fix this! Get up there! Sadness, it's up to you. Me? Sadness? Sadness? I can't, Joy. Yes, you can. Riley needs you.
sadness. Hey, I got a couple questions for you kids, ready? Here's the first question. What makes you sad? Raise your hand, anybody got an answer? What makes you sad? When people die. Yeah. Um, when people be mean to me. Yes. Somebody over here, right here. Um, when, when people, um, when people kill people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We just got down and dirty and serious. <laughs> what makes you sad? When my mom leaves home. Oh, yes. When my puppy cries. Oh, your puppy cries? She get that checked out, I think. When pets die. Yeah. When I have nightmares. Oh, yes. Last night, some kid lit... Life. That was his response to that question. We're getting him counseling. Don't worry. Uh, second question. Ready? What do you do when you're sad? What do you do when you're sad? Oops, get angry and then you um, like go run into your bedroom and slam the door yeah. in your mom's face. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for the honesty. That's great. Yes. Can I do, can I do the... Um, you want to answer the first question? question? Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. It makes me really sad when my cat ran away Aww. and we found her two weeks later. You found her two weeks later? Yeah, give an applause for a found cat. Yay! What do you do when you're sad? I go to my room and uh, go under my bed. Under your bed, all right. Find a place to hide, yeah, yeah. What do you do when you're sad? I cry. Cry? I cry. You cry, two criers there. Uh, last question, and we'll come over here. What do you do when somebody else is sad next to you? What do you do? You got an answer, my man? Tell my mommy. Tell your mommy. Love mommies. I just ignore it. Hey, I love the honesty. Anybody? Anybody? You got one over here. What do you do when someone around you is sad? I try to cheer them up. Yeah, how do, how do you cheer them up? Do you have any ideas for us? No? <laughs> Fruit snacks, maybe? All right, you, you two criers in the middle. We're going to come back to you. Here we go. What do you do when someone else is sad? I look at them. <laughs> what do you do? I help them. You help them. That's not a bad answer. Okay, last one. Here we go. I cry. You cry too. Uh, you could preach my sermon today for me. Hey, uh, I want to pray for you before we go, okay? And then we'll send you off. So God, thanks for these kids. Thanks for what they continually teach us about you and about faith and about life and their honesty. And uh, all throughout this series, they have taught us so much. And I pray for the parents of the kids that are here. Uh, that, that we as parents would have wisdom to let our kids express emotions and that we would be able to guide them through that. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Give them a hand, you guys. Thanks, kids. You can go back home to your parents. I love the honesty. I just ignore it. Some of you, that's your answer. 
Everybody, everybody back home? We good? Getting there. All right. A uh, couple of housekeeping issues. If you could just take the friendship pad, it's on the right-hand side of the pew. Uh, sign it, pass it down. This is how we stay connected around here and uh, do some family stuff. So if you wouldn't mind doing that. And then I'm also going to ask the ushers to come forward and take our offering. And, and this is the way that we as a church worship. So if you're a guest, there's no pressure to, uh, to put anything in there. Let it, let it pass you by. Uh, but this is just uh, how, we, how we worship. So we are at the end of our Family Gathers series. Sadness. I know, sadness about being at the end. We thought we'd end it with a bang. Sadness. We've talked about disgust. We've talked about joy. We've talked about anger. We've talked about fear. And now we're on to sadness. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. While I eat fruit snack shrapnel. I'm just kidding, I won't, that's yours. Uh, I, was, I was born, <laughs> there's more to the story. I was one of four kids. Two older sisters and one younger brother. And so for the first three and a half, four years of my life, I was surrounded mostly by women. And which wasn't all that bad, let's be honest, except this was, this was me <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, that's my, that's my loving older sister in the background. This was me for the first three and a half years of my life. Show and shoulder. Um, so it didn't take long before I had a conversation, a little sit down with my parents. And I said, mom and dad, it's time for me to have a brother. <laughs> I had that conversation many times with them. And one day, they came home. I'd like to say it was because of my nagging. They came home with my younger brother, Joey, who you see here. And uh, don't awe too much, because that was the last time we smiled. Because after that, we moved into the same room together. And never, excuse me, never moved out for 17 years. Uh, and as our, our personalities grew, so did our preferences. I preferred cleanliness and order the way God does it. <laughs> My brother, Preferred Legos. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not talking about the Legos you buy now where they're sets and you build the Millennium Falcon and you put it on the shelf and appreciate it. I'm talking about the five-gallon bucket of chaos <laughs> that they used to sell. Maybe they still do. But this bucket of chaos would end up on my floor, all over my floor, which would become a minefield for me in the middle of the night. And I got tired of it. I just got tired of it. So I decided to do something about it. I went and got a very large roll of tape, white tape, and I put a line down the middle of my room. 
and I took a very large broom and I swept all of his chaos onto his side. Yes, right on. (laughs) And peace was restored. Joey, your Legos go over there. My world is here. Don't let them come over. And it worked for a couple days. And I tell you that story to, to paint a picture of what you and I tend to do with sadness. We tend to, when sadness creeps up, we tend to get out the tape, draw a line, push it over and say, nope, not today. Stay over there. Don't mess this up, sadness. And that tends to be our response. And actually, in the movie, if you've watched the movie, Uh, the joy character does something very similar to the sadness character. She takes sadness aside and she draws a white uh, circle on the floor with chalk and said, I have a very special job for you, sadness. This is the circle of sadness. Your job is to make sure all the sadness stays inside the circle. That's a super funny thing, but it, it actually is a sobering picture of what we do, right? We don't want it to, it gets messy when sadness comes up. So we, we keep it over here. We draw a line in the middle and we say, nope, not today. And I wanna explore with you why we do this. Why our tendency is, is to do this with sadness. And at the end, just give us some ideas of how we, how we pull this tape up off the floor. The first reason I think that we put tape down the middle is that we've been taught that sadness is an unacceptable emotion. I mean, think about your childhood. Think about, most of us in here would say that the TV shows and music and, 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 and family environment, church, school, all of it, none of it elevated sadness to this hierarchy of emotions, right, to the top. And I'm sure a lot of it encouraged you to just, no, don't deal with it. My, my, my wife and I have been introducing our kids to TV shows that we watched growing up. Home Improvement. <laughs> uh, Full House. Family Matters, right? Steve Urkel. Just, anyway, good shows. And they love them. But we've noticed that with these shows, in the 25-minute episodes, most of these shows seldom end unresolved or sad. Most of them, they may deal with sadness in the TV show, but by the end, it is, it is tied up in a bow and it's pretty and the outro music starts. And so TV shows might have told us that, that sadness was unacceptable. Some of us grew, grew up in homes where parents said, suck it up, when you started to cry. Some of us are still being raised in homes like that, and so homes where, where the sentiment might best be expressed by a song. Go ahead, hit it, Dick Van Dyke. Why look so awfully tragic? Put on a happy face. Smiling can work like magic. Put on a happy face. 
Take off the gloomy mask of tragedy It's not your style You look so good that you'll be glad you decided to smile How many of you grew up in homes where that was probably a little bit of the, the, the message sent? Yeah, yeah. Put on a happy face, brush off the clouds, and cheer up. Take off the gloomy mask of tragedy. It's not your style. So with songs like that and TV shows and, and parents who might have said to suck it up, all of that taught us that it's okay to put a line here because sadness is an unacceptable emotion. So we learned to do this really quickly. The second reason I think many of us do this is because we either have been taught or we somehow believe that sadness is an unchristian emotion. Sadness is an unchristian emotion. Ben Myers, who's an Australian theologian, says it like this. In the Protestant West today, smiling has become a moral imperative. The smile is regarded as the objective externalization of a well-ordered life. Sadness is a moral failure. It's a pretty strong statement there at the end, and many of us would say, I don't agree with that, but wouldn't you say our experience says something different, that we actually have a hard time coming in here and not smiling, feeling like we have to smile? We can't let on that things inside are broken. We want the church, we want our community of believers to be a place where sadness can be expressed, but too often it's not. I've gone into uh, worship services sometimes, and the worship leader, as the service starts, the worship leader would say, come on in, leave your troubles at the door, let's just worship God together. And what does that teach us? It teaches us that God's afraid of our emotions. It teaches us that he can't handle that. And so we, we put up a line because it's unchristian. Another way this shows up is in our Good Friday service every year. We do uh, Easter, obviously, but then on, on Friday, the, the, the Friday before, we celebrate and tell the story of the death and resurrection, or the death of Jesus. And I don't know if you know this, but we intentionally, on purpose, end it sad. We end it with Jesus dead and in the grave, because that's how the original Good Friday ended. And we do that so that we can fully enter into the story, feel that grief and sadness, and it makes Easter, when, he, when we celebrate him rising from the dead, that much more meaningful. But every year, we get feedback. Your Good Friday service is uh, it's depressing. <laughs> and it shows me there's an undercurrent of, of thought that sadness is unchristian. Like, we, we just don't know what to do with sadness as followers of Jesus. We're people of victory. Right? We're people who share in the victory that Jesus won with his death and resurrection. And sadness feels like it flies in the face of that. Sadness feels like, well, it feels like you can't have sadness and faith coexist. And so many of us have said, nope, it's unchristian, not going to deal with it. This last year, my uh, family had the opportunity to wrestle with grief and sadness. Uh, my wife's dad uh, passed away earlier this year of liver cancer, and uh, we're in the middle of that whole experience and um, making funeral preparations, and uh, Steve Fowler comes to me and says, hey, would you preach in September? I said, sure, on what? He said, sadness. I was like, are you serious? 
I mean, it's that way, though, because when you want to preach on patience, all of a sudden, everybody around you is driving 10 miles an hour slower than the speed limit. <laughs> Doesn't it? It happens. I can't wait till he asks me to preach on, like, getting rich or winning the lottery. Or... <laughs> it's going to be good times. Um, but here I am with my family and, and I in, the, in the, the deep end of the grief pool, and knowing I was going to preach on sadness, and it was, the question arises, what does the Bible say about it? Is it unacceptable? Is it unchristian? And what does Jesus have to say about it? Those are good questions to ask. And so I started in the Psalms. Always a good place to start. Psalms, a book written by, mostly by King David, who was one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. He's, he's called a man after God's own heart. Uh, and he wrote these Psalms uh, and, and collected them. And, and we have categories of Psalms. We have uh, praise Psalms, Psalms that are declaring God's goodness. We have Thanksgiving psalms, which are him looking back at a crisis that God saved them from and uh, him, him declaring that God is good out of that. Then you have lament psalms. Lament is a word that just means uh, grieving, feeling sadness. And these lament psalms are pretty intense. Let me read you one. Psalm 69 says, deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying for help. Anybody say amen? My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. David sounds like a guy you just want to have at a party. But these lament psalms actually outnumber the praise and the thanksgiving psalms. He spent more time in this looking grief dead in the eye and questioning God's goodness. He spent more time lamenting than he did praising and thanksgiving. And so if you've been told to put on a happy face, David's example is, is, is a little bit different. This, the next place that I stopped was the book of Lamentations. The book's name is Lament, coming from the word lament. It's a book written by the, the prophet Jeremiah as he walks through Jerusalem after it's been demolished by the Babylonians. There's only four verses, four verses in the entire book that talk about God's goodness. The rest of it is page after page of him grieving because the Israelites brought this on themselves with their rebellion. A whole book devoted to lamenting, to feeling sad. And then you ask, what did Jesus say about it? Does Jesus have anything to say about sadness? He doesn't have a ton to say about sadness, but he shows us by his example, which speaks a lot louder, I think, than a word. In John 11, he shows up to Mary and Martha's house after Lazarus has died, his best friend, one of his good friends. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. How many of you memorized John eleven thirty five. 35 growing up. <laughs> Jesus wept. I was a pastor's kid. You better believe I got that one under my belt. Jesus wept. It's a simple verse, but we gotta camp here a little bit. And I looked up the word wept to see if there was like original meaning in the Greek that, that meant something really rich and, or maybe different than wept. No, wept is the Greek word for wept. <laughs> he cried. He shed tears. The Son of God needed Kleenex. Simple as that. 
The one who'd come to show us life, not just life, but life abundant, showed us that sadness is a huge piece of a life that is abundant. And so he showed us that sadness isn't just an acceptable emotion, but that it's fully Christian. It's fully Christian, and that's good news. So how do, we, how do we pull this tape up? How do we let sadness in? Here's a couple ways. The first one is we gotta resist the urge to numb. We gotta resist the urge to numb. Brene Brown, in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, it's a great book, and in it, she talks about how we tend to think that if we push sadness over the line, it won't have an effect on us if we numb that. And she says it this way. We cannot selectively numb emotions. When we numb the painful emotions, we also numb the positive ones. When we numb the dark, we numb the light. When we numb the dark, we numb the light. We've got to resist the urge to numb sadness. Well, Jeff, how do you numb? Glad you asked. I have a list. Alcohol, here's the big ones. Alcohol, drugs, food, sex, relationships, money, work, caretaking, gambling, staying busy, affairs, chaos, shopping. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Planning, perfectionism, oh, that's mine. Constant change, the internet. List could go on and on. I found a, a very subtle way, though, that many of us, myself included, numb. It's very subtle. Watch for it. Yeah, uh-oh. I pulled my phone out this week, and I realized I have no purpose in pulling my phone out. So I began to ask, why did I pull my phone out? And I realized it was because I was starting to feel something painful, a painful emotion. For me, it was insecurity. Sadness is just as painful, though. And some of us, this has become our numbing thing. It distracts us. I know Candy Crush is awesome. I don't... This is just pushing it away. This is putting the tape down the middle. So we've got to resist the urge to numb because, my friends, Jesus is inviting us to feel our sadness. He's inviting us to put our phone away. He's inviting us to, to, to log off our Amazon.com account and stop shopping. He's invited us to stop putting things in our calendars so we feel busy and feel valued. He's inviting us to pull this tape up and let sadness come in and just sit with it. Be with it, just cry, just be disappointed. And to do it all with him. Which brings me to my second way that I think we can pull this tape up. The second way is start a grief journal. Some of you are like, I hate journaling. I know, me too. So I worked, I worked the system, I started a grief list. <laughs> And I got away by myself, which is half the battle, usually, getting away without distractions. 
And I asked Holy Spirit, I said, there's things I know I have to grieve and be sad about that I haven't grieved. So would you, Holy Spirit, would you tell me, bring those things to mind? And I expected the big things. I expected like death of a loved one. My, my, my dog died two years ago. I expected that one to come up. We expect the big, we define grief as something that, you know, you do only for the big things. But then there were little things he brought up too. The fact that 10 years ago, my wife and I left Redding, California to come here. And I've never grieved that, what we left. I never grieved that there are two friends I don't talk to anymore who were friends of mine in college. The friendships are gone. I have never grieved that. I've never grieved what life was like before you have kids. Amen? <laughs> and so it wasn't just the big things. It was these little things that he brought up. And, and I found just the goodness of God in that space. Because it wasn't like, shame on you for not grieving this. It was, this is going to be good. Think about these. Feel the sadness of these. And, uh, and I, I found that he began to heal and restore. Because when we sit in the uncomfortable, we sit in the painful, that's where God can heal us. That's where God can restore us. So maybe some of us need to start a grief journal or grief list or grief Excel spreadsheet or whatever it is. And here's the deal. These grief journals, they don't have to be pretty. Excuse the term, but vomit it out. Just get it out on paper. It's not about being pretty. Sadness isn't a pretty emotion. My wife calls it the ugly cry for a reason. So don't worry about it being pretty. Just let it out. What what does the Holy Spirit say to you? The third way I think we can pull this line up is that we let the people around us feel sad. We're uncomfortable with our grief, right? But we're sure as heck uncomfortable with other people's grief. And can I say that the most, some of the most painful things have been said to somebody in grief by somebody else. My wife and I have a friend who, uh, they experienced something no parent should ever have to experience. They uh, ended up uh, burying their four-year-old kid after he had congenital heart issues. And as they're in the middle of the grief, in the middle of funeral preparations, a family member who said they were a Christian came up to them and said, if you ever want to see your kid again, you'll go back to church. I was like, not only are they dealing with grief, now they have this wound that may keep them from ever coming to faith. Some of the most painful things are said to people in grief. I don't know if it's because we feel like we have to fill up this void of sadness with our words. I'll just put my words in there. Sometimes we feel like we have to fill it up with Bible verses. I'm not saying Bible verses aren't truth. I'm saying they're not helpful sometimes in sadness and grieving. Because what they do is they just heap shame on people because they feel like they shouldn't be feeling sad. Some of us like to spout off cliche truths. Not helpful. 
You know what? The one, the, the deepest need of somebody who is mourning, their deepest need is not words. It's your presence. It's for them to know they're not alone. I've had to learn how to do this with Kara, my wife, because she's in the middle of still grieving and probably will be for years. I've had to learn how to do this because what I want to do, because I love her and because I don't want her to feel pain, what I want to do is put on a happy face, <laughs> right? It's my cardio for today, right there. <laughs> um, what I want to do is I want to alleviate her pain. I want to, I want to push it away. I want to put down the line for her and say, no, you don't need to feel that. That's painful. And what, I've, what I had to learn how to do is that when a commercial comes on that I know is going to make her feel sad and cry, I don't change the channel. When Alanis Morissette starts singing about dogs who are in the pound, I know. You don't change the channel. When there's, a, when there's a song that comes on that I know is going to make her cry, I don't skip it over. It's almost like you, you, you gently just nudge towards grief in a gentle way. And when the waterworks begin, I don't, I don't try and make her feel better. I, I've learned to say things like, yeah, that's good. Cry. Go there. You need to feel that. Because the question that we need to ask when people feel sad around us is not what can I say to make them feel better, it's how can I enter into their grief with them? So when your son comes home from school and he's been told that he's fat at school and he's crying, you don't go into his room and say, dude, it's not true, get over it. You enter into his grief and you say, that is awful. That must have felt so awful. And I'm sorry that happened. And what happens when we do that, when we enter into their grief, is this starts to come up. And sadness comes out and we get more and more comfortable with it. When we resist the urge to numb, when we start a grief journal or grief list or somehow process things that we've been out running for years as far as grief goes. And when we let those around us feel sad, this tape comes up. Ecclesiastes says this, sorrow is better than laughter for sadness has a refining influence on us. Now, if you're thinking about telling somebody in grief this verse, stop. No. This is a verse for us to just look at and realize that word refining means to make something beautiful, to make something good, to make something right. And so when you and I rip up this tape and let sadness come in, Jesus can refine us. Would you pray with me? Just take a moment with your eyes closed and, and, and try and, as best you can, just block everything out right now and all distractions. Just, just ask Holy Spirit this question. Holy Spirit, is there something I've been outrunning that I need to grieve?
Listen for his voice. Is there something I'm outrunning that I need to grieve? And if you bring something up, would you just let that into the room with you and feel it? If it makes you cry, that's great. If it just brings your heart to a place of sadness, that's okay. You're like, no, I'm in church. I can't do that. Well, let's change that, okay? Let's let church be a place where we can be fully Christian and feel sadness. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence as we grieve. Thank you for how good you are to not let us experience grief alone. But that you above all enter into our grief with us. So come, continue to speak. Help us listen. Help us hear. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.